0: Welcome to Bayou City. We're glad to have you. Why don't you take your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And as you're doing that, tell the person on your right and left, I'm glad you're here. You know, God has been giving out assignments since the very beginning. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky the animals all the earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth just a few chapters later noah genesis 6:14 make yourself an ark of wood make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out abraham genesis chapter 12 verse 1 go out from your land to the land that i will show you moses exodus 3 verse 10 therefore go i am sending you to pharaoh so that you may lead my people the israelites out of Egypt. Fast forward to the New Testament, John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3, verse 2. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The very first disciples slash apostles, Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul and his friend Barnabas, Acts chapter thirteen, verse two, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called Them too. Although God does not need to delegate, He does delegate. Although He does not need a partner, He loves to partner. So He hands out assignments. The scripture shows us a few different ways that we can respond to those assignments. First, we can run. That's what Jonah did, the prophet. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was to the northeast. Jonah does the exact opposite. He runs to the southwest. So you can run from an assignment. You can sleep through an assignment. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further into that olive grove. And he says, I need you to stand with me. I need you to stand with me and pray. And they say, absolutely, we will. And two times he comes to find that they have fallen asleep. You can run you can fall asleep. We all know people or have been people who have done both of those things. God has offered you an assignment, but it just wasn't the right season. It wasn't the right moment. The calendar didn't look that good. Maybe you just didn't want to. It didn't really fit with who you were at the time, and so you ran. Other times we gladly say, absolutely, I will take any assignment, any responsibility that God wants to give me, but the rhythm of life lures away from us our urgency about it, and then eventually that same rhythm lulls us into sleep. We can run, we can sleep, but there is a third way. It's the way of the prophet Isaiah. No running, no sleeping, only volunteering. If God is handing out assignments, we want one. Isaiah chapter 6, prophet Isaiah sent to God's people, the tribe of Judah, God's people are on the brink of calamity. For generations they have forsaken God, worshipped idols, rejected His way, lost His laws, and judgment is stirring. And this is what happens to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I, this is Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. Now we'll see in just a, a minute that Isaiah... Volunteers a yes, and he only knows that there is an assignment, but he doesn't know the specifics of what that assignment will be. See, there are very few things that God loves more than an unqualified yes a yes with no strings attached, a yes that's attached only to faith. God loves an unqualified yes, He loves the faith. That's associated with it. I think that's why Jesus says to Thomas, after Thomas calls him Lord and Savior, after the resurrection, he said, Thomas, you have believed because you've seen. Thomas, you're calling me Lord because I'm literally standing here alive. I was dead. You knew I was dead. And now I'm alive. You can see that I'm alive. You can see the nails in my hands and arms and in my feet and the wound in my side. So you're believing because you can see. But blessed are those who will believe For no other reason than that they believe and they have faith to believe. God loves an unqualified yes. A yes that we offer to him without the details of what it's going to be and how it's going to work out. We offer a lot of yeses but with conditions. Yes, I will take this assignment if and then fill in the blank blank if it works well if it fits with who i am who my family is what i want to be about what I, my family wants to be about if i don't have anything else left to do then yes but an unqualified yes isaiah volunteers now listen if your heart is totally with isaiah today and you say you know if hey if god has given out assignments i want one i'm already there let's go somebody Give me the winds where, and how, and I will do it. Um, uh, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pull out your phone. I need you to fire up Candy Crush Saga and just hang out uh, for a few minutes because uh, I want to speak to the rest of us. I want to speak to those of us who have a little bit more Jonah in us than Isaiah, who have a little bit more sleeping disciples in us than Isaiah. You know? I want to speak to those who, in our hearts right now, we're asking the question, what do I do when I wish I wanted to volunteer, but I do not. Yes, I would like to be the kind of person that would raise their hand to volunteer an unqualified yes. I see that as an honorable and noble thing and a good thing. I wish I was like that, but lo, I am not. (laughs) But the good news is, is Isaiah's unqualified yes That he volunteers did not come without its own context. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. So Isaiah has a vision of God's throne room. He sees the smoke, he sees the train of God's robe, so massive that it's filling up the entire temple complex. He sees these seraphim, these angelic beings, and they have six wings, massive creatures with six wings. Two of their wings are covering their face, two of their wings are covering their feet, and with two of these wings they're flying. And from Isaiah's perspective, it looks as if the seraphim are standing over God's shoulder and they're shouting out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You've been to a sporting event before and the game was in a, a lull of a moment or it wasn't a good game and the crowd starts activating and they say that thing. A uh, little group does, We have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? And they point to the other side and then the other side gets riled up about it and they say no we have spirit yes we do we have spirit how about you and they throw it back to them and then that group gets a little bit louder and then they throw it back to the other side and they get a little bit louder and then until eventually everybody goes what what are we doing here and uh, we all quit together at the same time that's the the thing that the seraphim are doing it says that they're calling out to one another so one of them standing over the shoulder of god From Isaiah's perspective says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. And then the other one chimes in. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. And then another one chimes in. And then another one, another one. And then back to the first. And this is happening. And Isaiah is seeing it. Because here's good news for those of us who wish we were the kind of people who would volunteer An unqualified yes. Volunteering with an unqualified yes for one of God's assignments is driven by a clear vision of the holiness and glory of God. Volunteering with an unqualified yes for one of God's assignments is driven by a clear vision of the holiness and glory of God. Which is good news. It doesn't mean that there just are certain types of people in this world who will volunteer unqualified yes and there are not. There aren't just people who are super spiritual and then there the rest of us. There are not just people who do that kind of thing and then me. No anyone who gets a clear vision of the holiness and glory of God will eventually volunteer an unqualified yes. You know Exodus chapter 3 Moses receives his assignment and he receives it from a voice coming out of a burning bush. And the first thing that that voice says to him is to take his shoes off because he's standing on holy ground. After Moses does bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, just like his assignment was, God parks them at the base of a mountain. And on top of that mountain, where they could look up and see, God put a cloud of his fire his presence on top, and he invited Moses to go up on top of that mountain to be with him in the midst of that fiery cloud. But he said to the rest of the Israelites, he's saying, listen, this is just for Moses. Moses, I am inviting up, but you, you regular people, I love you, but you can't touch the mountain because the mountain is holy. In fact, it even gives them a prescription to make sure that their livestock, their cows and animals and mules and donkeys, they're not allowed on the mountain either. They can't drift up the path because the mountain is holy because God's presence is there. There was even one moment where the Israelites there speaking with Moses and they say as a congregation, listen Moses, we don't want God to speak directly to us. It's too much for us to handle if he would just speak directly to us. So here's what we want to happen. We want him to speak to you and then you come down the mountain and you speak to us because he's just too holy. He's too holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. So when Moses would go up on top top of that mountain, it was just an act of tremendous favor that God had on Moses. Just favor, just grace that he would get to go up there and Exodus chapter 33, Moses is, 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 feels compelled to cash in some of that favor. And he says to God, listen, if I've found favor in your sight, if you've blessed me at all. And then he makes a request. But he doesn't ask for, uh, uh, you know, riches. He doesn't ask to climb up the leadership ladder. He cashes in all of his favor on top of that fiery mountain. And, and he says to God, show me your glory. I, I just want to see it. See, the holiness of God and the glory of God work together. The holiness of God causes us to say, I I can't look at it. The glory of God says, I can't stop looking at it. It's both of those things together. A few years ago, I took my son Jackson to the Grand Canyon. He was six. Just in case any of you are interested, uh, the Grand Canyon is wasted on a six-year-old. So but we're headed to Los Angeles, and I had never seen the Grand Canyon, so we got to stop there. We're driving down I-40, and, and so we st- spent the night in Holbrook, Arizona, a place you'd never spend the night, but that's where we were we were staying, and in the morning, we woke up, got all of our stuff in my truck, and we're headed to the Grand Canyon, but we have to stop and get breakfast, so I see a little donut shop there in Holbrook, and we pull in. And I'm ordering donuts, and another customer in the store sees that my license plate is from texas and so we start a conversation he's from texas so we have the normal texas conversation outside of texas which is we're so much better than everybody else i don't understand why people just can't get on board with the way that we do things aren't we the greatest these people they don't get it here in arizona they don't get it we're going to california those people definitely don't get it we get it we're from texas We have that. And then he says, where are you headed? And and I said, well, we're going to the Grand Canyon this morning. He says, listen, there's a main exit. There's a main exit off I-40. That's where everybody goes once you get to Flagstaff. But, hey, there's a secret Entrance to Grand the Grand Canyon. So uh, just a few miles before that main entrance, you're gonna take a little right on a farm road. It's not gonna look like much, but you need to do it. And so I write down all of his directions and we get to that little farm road, and everybody else is headed on west, but we turn off, we're the only ones, and I drive north for about 45 minutes, and I'm not seeing any canyon. I'm not even seeing hills, and I'm not seeing mountains. There's nothing, just dusty, dirty, nothing. And then we get to the left, he said to turn out, and I turn out left, and we drive for about another 30 minutes. Nothing, 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 and there it was. Just appeared out of nowhere, and there's a little turn about, and and so we pulled in there and got out of the car, and uh, you walk over to as far to the ledge as you possibly can without having a panic attack, and just stare at it. That's what you do at the Grand Canyon. You you just stare. People hike down in there, but they just hike down in there so they can stare at it from another angle. After a while of staring, Jackson goes, so what are we going to do? <laughs> this, is, this is what we came to do. We came to just stare at this. I said, I'll bring you back when you're 30. You'll appreciate it a little bit more. The whole world is filled with his glory. And when you see glory, and specifically the glory of God, you just want to stare at it. The holiness and glory of God. What drives us to lift our hands and volunteer an unqualified yes. We get that experience too. It's not just Isaiah who had one little special experience. We get to experience the holiness and glory of God By the wonder of his world. You can go to the Grand Canyon and stare. You can go to Yellowstone and there's a hole in the ground there. And all day long, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people line up around this hole in the ground just to stare at it. Because every hour, water just right out of the ground. And then it goes back in and then it comes back up and it goes back down and it comes back in. And then people wait. They wait for more hours and hours and hours just to stare at it again. You can get on an airplane and you can go to the Alps, the Austrian Alps, the Swiss Alps. see some of the most beautiful mountains in the world and your jaw will just drop. And you're experiencing the holiness and the glory of God, Because the whole earth is filled with his glory. We experience that through the wonder of his world, but also through the wonder of his work. That when we pray, he listens. When we pray, he responds. We can see him moving. We can see him providing. We can see him intervening. We can see him establishing our steps. We can see him giving uh, us direction. And that holy God, he cares about us, intervenes in our life, and we experience the wonder of his work. But some of us are like, you know, I can't afford to go to the Grand Canyon. That's nice if you can get on an airplane and go and hang out in a Swiss chalet in the middle of the Alps. And I'm a normal person. i got to be at work tomorrow morning. I can't experience his glory there. And honestly, if I were just going to be completely real, I'm not seeing a lot of his work in my life. I'm not seeing a lot of answered prayer. I mean, I'm hearing stories about it third, fourth hand from other people. But I'm not personally experiencing that. Well, good thing we can experience him through the wonder of his word. Because he's always speaking here. He's always intervening here. He's always guiding here. He's always directing here. He's always working here. It is an experience of his glory and his holiness. So the next time you feel that urge to take your Bible, open it up and read it. Take it off the shelf. Take it off the bedside table. Pull it out of your car to actually read it. And then that other urge hits you, which is, nah, It's easier to watch TV. It's easier to read another book. It's easier to do something else in my to-do list. You remember, you're not just picking up a history lesson. You might just experience the holiness and glory of God through the wonder of his word. And it's that wonder that lifts our hands up to volunteer. Volunteering with an unqualified yes for one of God's assignments is driven by a clear vision Of the holiness and glory of God. But volunteering with an unqualified yes for one of God's assignments is also driven by the clear identity of a sinner forgiven. Verse 4 The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and his hand was glowing, in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched his mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah is there in this vision in the presence of of the king, he says, in God's holiness and glory, and an awful awareness falls on him. And that awful awareness is these two things should not be united. God's uniqueness and glory and my sinfulness should never be in the same room. Isaiah is overcome by this. He says, I am ruined. I am undone. Woe is me. And then he reaches for a sin, Now, if you were thinking of a sin that would disqualify you from being in the presence of God, I'm guessing that you're going to pick a big one. You're going to pick that one that when you were 16, man, you won't even say that one out loud. It was so bad and it just haunts you day and night. You'd pick something from college that seems to be hunting you down. Every time you close your eyes or turn your thoughts to God, they're that play that tape starts to play in your memory you'd pick a big one isaiah just says i don't even need to get to the big ones even the small ones are making me feel disqualified now even the small ones are just the words that come out of my mouth he doesn't say idolatry he doesn't say i live among a people that worship idols he just says no just words come out of my mouth and i live among a people whose words are unclean and i don't deserve to be in this moment. An awful awareness comes on him. And then the seraphim comes and it says that he's got a coal in his hands that he took from the altar. Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 gives us another peek from a different angle of God's throne room and it describes the altar that's there, the altar of incense. And that altar is connected in revelation chapter 8 verse 3 with our prayers which is encouraging news for us to talk about in the context of God's holiness and glory you know most of us ha- think that God just dismisses us he looks at us he knows who we are and he dismisses us but what th- it says that God has actually moved your prayers to right in front of his throne it's right there in the same way that you and I try to put our dining room table as close as possible to our television set. God has moved your prayers right there, where he spends all of his time, not in another room, not when I want to, I got to go down to my uh, office to work, so I'm going to go down the halls of heaven and get down to my work and pull out your file of prayers. No, your prayers are always before him, right in front of him, in his throne. And so the seraphim takes a coal from that altar that he is heating up that incense and he touches Isaiah and says, your wickedness is removed and your sin has been atoned for. Now his identity is as a sinner, but a sinner forgiven. See, I may be the first person to tell you this. I hope that I'm not, but I don't mind. You are a sinner. I am... A sinner you know now it's in our culture that we give trophies to everybody you know all the kids or whatever so the first place they've always gotten a trophy and now everybody gets a trophy so when my kids play sports or do whatever they get a trophy just for their participation which i think is a fine thing you know if, uh, you know i'm going to spend a hundred dollars on one of my kids sports leagues the least they could do is spend 30 cents to give them a trophy to remember it. you. So it's a fine thing, whatever. But you get a trophy whether you win or whether you just put forth effort. That's it. You are rewarded for either one. And I think that seeks into our spiritual frame of mind as well. You know, I doubt that there's anybody in here today that's just going to say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be honest. I'm finishing first place at Christianity. I just am. I'm winning at it. I'm incredible. I'm awesome. I mean, no offense to you, but I'm better at this than all of you. I pray, and I pray X amount times a day, however many you're praying. I'm praying more than that probably, and, and my prayers are better. They're more crafted, you know, when they come out of my mouth. it's just I'm just good at this thing. I doubt that there's anybody saying that this morning, that I'm finishing first place in christianity but many of us are like i'm not finishing first place but i'm definitely not finishing last place i am putting forth effort i'm giving my best effort well maybe not my best effort maybe i'm just giving effort i don't come to church every week i'm not a crazy person (laughs) but i'm coming more often than not and i'm definitely coming more than my neighbor man that guy's a wicked sinner The scripture comes in and says, listen, you definitely are not giving getting first place. But even your effort is not good enough. Even your best attempt at righteousness ends up just looking dirty. You're a sinner, and, and I am too. Some, somebody's like, man, I invited my neighbor today, and uh, here you are like an insane person calling everybody a sinner. I am, I am. Because unless you understand how bad your sin tastes, you can't understand how good forgiveness tastes. And and because some of us just feel like we're giving our best effort, it's really cut the teeth out of the forgiveness of God. So we neither feel like a sinner, nor do we feel that we've been forgiven. We just live in this middle gray area of a church person. I'm not bad, and I'm not great. I'm just hanging out in the middle. But your sin is devastating. Your sin is awful, and it should have an awful awareness should come on you. I've experienced that. I was in a service like this right before I became a teenager, and I've, I've told you this before, but I I just had this sense in that moment. A guy got up and He on the stage, and he opened up his Bible, and just this awareness came on me that I was born into this world wearing a name tag that said sinner. I just knew it in my soul. I didn't need anybody to tell me that. I just knew that in my soul. You know those name tags? Hello, my name is, and then you write Curtis. Well, mine says, hello, my name is sinner, and I knew that at that moment. I also knew from the scripture that if I was wearing that kind of name tag, I couldn't follow Jesus into the kingdom of God I couldn't follow him into eternal life I couldn't follow him into eternity I couldn't do any of those things this is awful awareness had fallen on me but thankfully I knew the stories of Jesus at that time I knew the story of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying in agony. We've already referenced it. You know why Jesus is praying in agony and he's sweating drops of blood in such a a moment of angst and frustration and heaviness? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what Jesus is doing? He's taking my name tag and your name tag that says sinner. He's taking it off me and he's putting it on him. Ripping your sticker off. And he wasn't born with one of those stickers. His sticker didn't say, Hello, my name is Jesus, sinner. It said, Hello, my name is Jesus, righteous son of God. But in the garden and in the arrest and in the betrayal and in the trial and in the beating, just taking name tags off sinners, laying him on himself. So when he is dying on the cross anchored into Golgotha, lifts up his head and voice and says, it is finished. It's crumpling up your name tag that said, wicked sinner, unclean, and throwing it away. And more than that, after his resurrection three days later, he holds in his hands the power to say, not only have I taken your name tag off of you and put it on myself, I'm willing to take my name tag off me and put it on you. No longer are you sinner. You are righteous son of God. And when you and I understand what has happened, when we understand the grace that we've been given, it lifts our hand and said, if there are jobs in light of that, in light of I used to be, sinner, and now I am righteous son of God. Oh, I'll volunteer. That God is giving out responsibility. There is enough in my rearview mirror of all that he has done to propel me forward, even if I don't have all the details. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I want to be the kind of person that volunteers an unqualified yes, I'm just not sure that I am. The great news is you can be It's just a person who has a clear vision of God's holiness and glory, which you can have, and someone who understands that they are a sinner, but a sinner forgiven. We are not runners. We are not sleepers. We are volunteers. A few things I want to show you in this passage, and then I'll land the plane. You know, many scholars believe that this is not Isaiah's initial call into his prophetic ministry that that has already happened so what that means is this is the second time that Isaiah has lifted his hand and said I'll volunteer I'll go the first time was to just be a prophet in general but now there's a specific task he sees this vision and he's forgiven of his sin so he raises his hand again and so some of you 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 may have said yes to an assignment two years ago or two seasons ago so you ask yourself is that assignment over did I see it all the way through And if so, then, God, I'll lift my hand again. I'll I'll take another one. I'll take another one. Verse 8. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And here's Isaiah's assignment. It's a doozy. Go. Exclamation mark. Say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. So Isaiah's message after he volunteers and says, I want to go, is a terrible message to deliver. It is awful. It is of assignments. It is at the very bottom. You do not want to be the one delivering this Message of woe and judgment to your own people, but it's only four sentences. His assignment is only four sentences. See, taking an assignment from God, volunteering an unqualified yes, it's actually going to bring to your life a clarity and a simplicity and purity that you currently now lack. Our lives are full of half commitments. Half committed to this, half committed to that, half committed to this. Uh, It's just things that we do. Our life is full of half commitments, therefore we are bored right now. Your your life is just nothing but one long to-do list. But raising your hand and and saying, if God is giving out jobs, I would like one, it's going to bring a clarity and a simplicity to your life that you are craving right now. I mean, even Jesus' ministry could be summarized In just one or two sentences, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among people. So Jesus is doing three things. He's teaching in synagogues, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing the sick. Just three things. If you were going to craft a purpose statement for your life, how long would that be? I'm guessing it's going to be more than three things. I'm a mom, and I'm a wife, I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I'm an employer, and I'm an employee, and I'm a son, and I'm a daughter, and I feel like a chauffeur, and I feel like a home improvement specialist, and I feel like a home organizer, and I'm a cook, and I'm a cleaner, and I'm a, uh, you know, a birthday present buyer, and a birthday party goer to her, and I do all these things. I'm guessing that your purpose statement would feel a little overcrowded. But listen, if a few things was good enough for Jesus, a few is enough for you. And taking an assignment from God won't just be another thing on your to-do list. It will actually help you to say the right yeses and the right no's. Verse 1, this is how it starts. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So just a marker of time. This happened to me in the year that King Uzziah died. Life has the momentum of an unstoppable freight train. And our volunteering will happen within its natural rhythms, its up and downs. And if life is carrying the momentum of an unstoppable freight train, our schedule has the speed of a superhighway. That's where most of us are. We're like, yeah, I would love to be the kind of person... That raises their hand with an unqualified yes. God, you fill in the blanks, whatever you want me to do. I'm just saying yes, but I am so busy. And what we're all waiting on is we're all waiting for blank boxes on our calendar. And whenever we can get a few blank boxes on our calendar, then we will turn our attention to whatever God has for us. Yeah, we'll take on a job. If we can just get about... Ten days of blank boxes on the calendar, then man, that would be fantastic. I'll have a space to breathe i won 't be overwhelmed it will be it would be great well listen here, here's the the bad news that'll never happen. never happen you're never going to get to a time where you do not feel overwhelmed and burdened. You remember when we were kids and we would jump rope uh, and, and there'd be one person on the one side and the other person on the other side, and they're doing this thing and you're the person that's. gotta go in. You gotta kind of get the rhythm of the you remember doing this little thing and you're trying to time the rope so you can jump in there but it just was moving so fast. It was moving so fast and you'd say slow down but then they would slow down and that would actually make it harder for you and that's where a lot of us are. We're in this holding place like yeah I know God wants something great for my life. I know he wants to partner with me but man I just can't get the rhythm of the rope if I can just get it to slow down but no all that's too slow I just need it to be just right if my life can be just right then of course I'll raise my hand. Of course i will volunteer and listen that rope is not slowing down you're just gonna to have to jump in and you're gonna jump in and what you're gonna see is taking an assignment from god isn't actually going to steal from you it's going to give to you it's going to help you teach the right it's going to teach you the right yeses and the right nos give you a purpose and clarity and purity that you have currently lacked. so In light of God's holiness and glory, in light of being a sinner forgiven, Isaiah raises his hand in verse 8 and says, Here I am. Send me. I love the way one scholar rephrased it. He said, Behold, comma, me. God says, Whom should we send? He'll go for us. Behold, comma, me. I want to go. You're looking for volunteers? I want to go. I volunteer an unqualified yes. Why? Because God is holy and I can't look at it, but he's glorious and I can't look away. Why? Because I used to wear a name tag that just said sinner. And now I wear one that says righteous son of God. And in light of those two things, how can you not raise your hand? How can you not say, If there's assignments in Houston, Texas, I want one. Maybe our prayer goes from, God, would you please ignore me, to God, please don't pass me by. Not only do I want one, I want the first one. I don't want the easiest one, I want the hardest one, because you're glorious and you're holy. Because once I was lost and now I'm found, I was dead, and now I'm alive. So today we're offering unqualified yeses. We volunteer. He'll work on the details on the back end. Let's pray. God, would you stir in us today a vision, an Isaiah-like vision for who you are, So when I hear you speaking and handing out assignments, I love the one who's handing them out. I'm not afraid of the one who's handing them out. I'm not mad at the one who's handing them out. I'm not frustrated with the one who's handing them out. I'm glad to receive one from you. So stir in us that vision of who you truly are got to pray the gravity of our gratitude for being sinners who are forgiven like Isaiah would drive us towards partnering with you most of all we pray simply pray let us be doers of your word and not hearers only in Jesus name amen amen Won't you stand too?